Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Mark Shaw with us. Mark, we were talking about how Dorothy's body was kind of moved around. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, you know, uh, it's amazing to me with some of these crime scenes, what happens. Uh, We now know, and I I think we have proven in in the reporter who knew too much and then denial of justice, that, you know, when when the police finally came to Dorothy Kilgallen's uh, townhouse, uh, she'd already been dead for several hours. And and you you wonder then what happened during that time. We now know that there was the FBI came, kind of swarmed the apartment, took out of all of her documents, investigative files, everything like that. And then the... uh, uh, you know, the medical examiner, a junior medical examiner, not the, not the main one, came and just took a look at a second all, empty second all bottle and decided that she'd overdosed, uh, not checking to see that she had actually died in the, bed, in the bathroom and then was taken into the bedroom. Uh, that's been proven. So, you know, there, you get these situations where, uh, unfortunately, uh, there, you know, the crime scene is... is, um, is um, you know, not as it was when, when she died, and that's what happened with Dorothy. And and really what occurred there, I finally uh, interviewed Dr. Michael Bodden, who I think you've had on your program mm-hmm. before, yep. about a month or two ago for the new book, and I wanted to ask him why they came up with the solution, uh, the verdict, that it was uh, a combination of an overdose of barbiturates and alcohol, circumstances undetermined. And I asked him why in the world then they went ahead and told the media that she died of an accidental death. And he admitted, he said, it looks to me like, and his name, by the way, was on the autopsy report, basically that they didn't know what happened to, to Dorothy. And yet they said it was an accidental death. And the main detective on the, on the, uh, on the, on the case, uh, I found a quote from him where he said if he would have known that it wasn't, uh, that it wasn't an accidental death, he would have investigated so unfortunately, you know, with these kinds of cases, uh, uh, everything gets all mixed up, and then you, you really don't have the truth. You're a man of the truth, George, and we can't really find at times uh, the truth about these kinds of cases. And what a story it was. And, I, and I, Didn't the FBI raid the house, too, and grab yeah, some did. documents? They did. And, and, you know, uh, it, these are true crime murder mysteries. The, the, all, all, all of my books are about Dorothy Kilgallen. The new one is as well, Collateral Damage. But in this situation, you have a true crime murder mystery because I think I told you the last time I was on the show that I had found a reliable source in Las Vegas who told me exactly how Dorothy was set up for the kill. There was a, a boyfriend of hers, the main suspect, Ron Pataki, who, who learned about what Dorothy was going to put in the book for Random House. He told the wrong people what happened, this guy told me, this source, and therefore they had to be able to eliminate her because they couldn't write that. she couldn't write that book uh, for Random House. And so, you know, in, in that situation, you look at motive, and then you know, we now know with an eyewitness that uh, J. Edgar Hoover sent his uh, agents into her office, into her, her townhouse, to destroy that, that file of hers, that thick file of hers on the, in, on the investigation of JFK. So he becomes even more of a suspect than he was before, as well as Carlos Marcello, uh, the New York, uh, New Orleans Don, who had another motive to have, uh, who, to have eliminated Dorothy. Is Pataki still alive? Yes, he is. And, and uh, you know, this has been an exciting time since I was on the show last. Uh, some, some successes and some failures. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I've been able to show, you know, uh, the fact that we're still trying to hide the truth. Uh, 
with the with the uh, Ruby trial transcripts, for instance, which are the most uh, important documents about the assassination and clearly show a plot to kill the president. The Sixth Floor Museum at Daly Plaza in Dallas still distorts history with only information about the Oswald alone theory. And then my attempts to get Dorothy an investigation, George, it's amazing to me. Uh, Vance Jr., the New York District Attorney, as you know, agreed to do a thorough investigation, and then he pulled the plug after eight months. I went to uh, New York, I think I told you, in February, and met uh, Commissioner Shea, Dermot Shea, of the New York Police Department. I shook his hand. There's a photograph of him and me uh, uh, on, on my website, markshawbooks.com. He uh, gave me the name of a, a detective in his department and the detective's uh, uh, you know, business card and said that I could uh, communicate with that detective. Uh, I got back to my home in California. I sent emails to that detective. None were answered. I left a phone message for him. None were answered. And finally, I realized that what Shea had done was in, in many ways shameless. He had really lied to me uh, in my face. He, I don't think he ever intended uh, for the detective to get back to me. And so that, that really di has disappointed me. There's a letter I wrote to Shea that's on my website, markshawbooks.com, complaining about what happened. I filed a Freedom of Information uh, request trying to get uh, them to go forward because of all the new evidence I have about Ron Pataki. It's overwhelming, George, that he was complicit in Dorothy's death. And besides using a fellow officer as kind of a shield here, which I believe is really derogatory with any officer who's under the command of the commissioner of the New York Police Department, uh, a killer is going to go free here unless they investigate. And, and that, this case qualifies on every level as a cold case squad uh, investigation, and yet I can't get them uh, to go after this. I, I, you know, I, I assume your audience, and maybe you as well, are thinking, why is everybody scared of Dorothy Kilgallen's case that happened in 1965? Right. What did she know? What yeah, did she exactly. know? And there, there's something there. And, of course, um, you know, we both know when the government is investigating the government, it's an uphill battle. But this little pint-sized woman scares the hell out of people with regard to what she knew about the assassination. What Nobody you... wants to jump into that case at all. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to expose what Shay did and I'm going to try to get an independent investigation. What do you think Jack Ruby told her in his prison cell? Well, this is, this is fascinating because, oh, I just got a chill, George, because again today, uh, I, think, I think Ruby, wh what do we know Dorothy did? She lost her file, so we don't have the notes. In the new book, by the way, I have a picture of her in Daly Plaza. It shows she was right there and right at the trial. Uh, where did she go right after the uh, the Ruby trial? She didn't go to Washington, D.C. and look into uh, Johnson, President Johnson, or the CI or anybody. She didn't, you know, stay in Dallas. She went to New Orleans. And as we both know, I've looked at the assassination differently than anybody ever has. Why Bobby Kennedy was not killed instead of why JFK was. And when you have that perspective, which is the same one that Dorothy had, I believe, you realize that Marcello, who was pursued by Bobby Kennedy right after Kennedy became attorney general and had deported him and, and charged him with racketeering. And then, he, the got, then he got back in killed, again. Yeah. Uh, Bobby uh, killed JFK, so Bobby would be powerless. So that's where Dorothy went. And she successfully had one trip there. Remember, that was a very mysterious trip 
with her hairdresser saying in the videotapes that I have on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org that when they got there, she, she called them and said, go back to New York, don't tell anybody you were here. She goes back to New York, and unfortunately start, she starts saying, if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it could cost me my life. I'm, a, I'm afraid for my life and my family. I've bought a gun, and she was dead shortly thereafter. So where did Ruby, what did Ruby say? Well, today, uh, this gentleman who got in touch with me from Florida told me that he interviewed two of the children of Dorothy, uh, Richard Jr. and Carrie, and while they were talking, they said to him that Jack Ruby had told Dorothy that if he could just get in front of an independent jury, he would tell the truth about what happened. Wow. And I think when, when Dorothy learned that, that's what extended uh, her, her investigation and into New Orleans. I so mean, that's where we are right now. Didn't Ruby know Carlos Marcello? Oh, it's just amazing. And you know, Santo Traficante, he knew them both. He was he running strip clubs for them, wasn't he? And if, this all goes back to my first book about this assassination, about Melvin Belli, the San Francisco lawyer that I knew and practiced law with in the 80s, and, and uh, you know, who was Jack Ruby's lawyer, and he was all mobbed up with Mickey Cohen and all of that, brought in to silence Jack Ruby, and, of course, then Ruby we connect easily uh, with um, with Marcello uh, through his underlings, because Marcello's empire, George, uh, extended to Dallas, and and you know there's these little things that Dorothy picked up, and and it's amazing to me that people missed them back then. The very first visitor to Jack Ruby in jail was a guy named Campisi, and and he and Joe Savello, Joe Campisi and Joe Savello, but Campisi was the first one. Well, who was he working for in Dallas? Carlos Marcello yeah, exactly. and Traficante. Did the name Jimmy Hoffa come up guys. much, Mark, in your work? What's that? Jimmy Hoffa's name, did it come up much? Yeah, it did. And it comes through an interesting book by uh, Frank Regano, who was a lawyer in Florida. You may have heard his name, but it's called Mob Lawyer. I've suggested people read it. Because imagine this as your, as your three main clients, James Hoffa, Santo Traficante, and Carlos Marcello. And I interviewed Regano's uh, widow, um, uh, Nancy, and she was able to tell me about the connections between Hoffa, the gangsters, Ruby, Oswald being. I now have an eyewitness who saw Oswald in Marcello's restaurant in, uh, in uh, New Orleans. You know, you can easily connect all of those people, and I'll tell you what the common denominator is, common sense. That's what Dorothy was really good at, you know, at the... At the uh, Sam Shepard case or the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case. I mean, she was she she was a better trial lawyer uh, than most trial lawyers. Right. She really was. Well, and in this case too, with the uh, situation with Hoffa, he hated Bobby Kennedy. Oh, hated God. him with a passion. Well, I would I would think you would when when the Attorney General of the United States tries to strangle you. I mean, when the, when the when Hoffa tries to strangle. Uh, the Attorney General of the United States, yeah, I think that's hatred. And so, you know, they, they all had a uh, motive. Uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy is a big part of the new book, Collateral Damage. I'm going to connect the deaths of Dorothy Gilgallen, Marilyn Monroe, and JFK, and the common denominator there is Bobby Kennedy. You know, it's amazing. You know, you have three deaths there, uh, George, within 40 months. Yeah. Marilyn dies in August of 62, JFK November 63, and Dorothy, uh, November 65. 
40 months, all three of these individuals died, and I've been amazed now at the similarities I've found in each of their lives and their professional and private lives, and then connecting them together with regard to their tragic deaths. And then eventually Bobby goes. And then Bobby is killed in 68. And, and you know, again, common sense. Look, what happened when Bobby Kennedy, uh, when Jack Kennedy died? Bobby Kennedy was powerless. He broke up that, that huge group of uh, federal investigators, never went after those uh, those mobsters again. That's right. LBJ basically stymied him, didn't he? He resigned in September of 1967. Then he's going to run for president. Now, many people asked me to write this book about Maryland with Dorothy and, and JFK, but they also want me to write about Bobby Kennedy's death because use a little common sense. Is, is there any connection between Sirhan Sirhan and the same gangsters? You know, I've never looked into that, but somebody certainly should. Because common sense would say what? These gangsters are now free of Bobby Kennedy, and then Kennedy runs for president. What would be the first thing he would do when he entered the White House? He would go back and investigate those guys for their participation in his brother's death. Yep. And remember what Bobby said, and, and this has been you know, proven by many other people besides me. What did he say when he heard that that JFK had been, had been killed. Well, I thought it would be me. Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. he was right. He knew it, would, it was supposed to be him. That's what the prosecutor of Jack Ruby, Bill Alexander, told me. He expected Bobby Kennedy be, to be killed. See, they were concerned if Bobby got killed, JFK would assign some other prosecutors oh. to go after the same people. Absolutely. So, they, so but, when, you know, it doesn't take too much to think that Bobby Kennedy, they couldn't let him become president of the United States. It just wasn't going to happen. You know, uh, Nick Pileggi, you, you, you may have interviewed him, uh, an incredible writer, uh, you know, who wrote Wise Guys and those films. He used to tell me, you know, you can't mess around with those mafioso, the Sicilians. It's all about revenge. And I think I may have told you this story before, a personal uh, story. When I was with Good Morning America and covering trials and things, they sent me to Philadelphia to interview the lawyer for Angelo, uh, Anthony Russo, uh, or whatever his name was, uh, the, the Angelo Bruno, uh, the main gangster in Philadelphia, and they they were trying to get into Atlantic City. So I went to Philadelphia. I sat down with this lawyer, and he started telling me things about um, you know the mafia boss that I didn't think he should be telling me. They played that the next day, the tape of it on Good Morning America. Sandy Hill and David Hartman, maybe your listeners will remember. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Look, will he talk to you again?" Because it was a big hit. And I said, "Well, I'll find out." I called his office. Uh, this secretary answered. She was kind of whimpering, and I said, are you okay? And she said, well, I guess you don't know, Mr. Shaw. Uh, he was sitting in his car this morning, and it blew up. Gee, that was during that time all those car bombings were you happening. You can't now. mess around with those guys. No. And Joe Kennedy, uh, you know, appointing Bob, uh, telling JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy, double-crossing them. You know, it all comes around in life, George, and... You know, it's it's really unfortunate uh, that that Jack Kennedy died. He should have never died. That's part of the collateral damage here, as Marilyn is and as Dorothy Kilgallen is in the new book. Did I ever tell you that I may have been one of the last newsmen to talk to Jimmy Hoffa? No. May 1975 in Detroit. I invite him to a TV show I was producing. He came in. He did it. I walked him to his car. We chatted a little bit. We shook hands, and off he went. My theory is twofold, Mark, with Jimmy Hoffa. 
I think, one, he wanted to regain the, the Teamster presidency, and the mob was so involved with Frank Fitzsimmons getting better deals than they were getting with Jimmy, they didn't want Jimmy back. But I also think part of me thinks that Jimmy was going to rat on them over the JFK assassination. Oh, I've never thought of that. And so they, so they that, bump him off because they were afraid he was going to talk. Interesting. Because, well, look, you know, um, he and Marcelo and Traficante were, you know, three birds together, and Frank Regano connects them completely. So that makes sense. I, I think I'll try to look into that. Is it all right if I... Yeah, that could be another re- book for you. Use your research here. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, mine was firsthand experience, but that I always had that feeling when I was with Hoffa that it wasn't what? just the Teamster presidency he was after. There was, was something else. He, him, George? What, what well, was he was a, he was a tough, strong unionist, uh, you know. And there were there were times when companies would abuse the American working man or woman, right. and they needed a tough president. And and in those days, those unions used muscle, as the companies did, to fight back. And uh, he was there at the right time. Ironically, his son is the president of the Teamsters Union now. I think that's right, isn't it? Yep, sure is. But but that's I always had of, that a, feeling. That's a slice of history that you, uh, you know, were able to meet and talk with him and and all of that. And and this all is all about history. People probably wonder why are we talking about the assassination that happened years and years and years ago. Well, it's about history, and I'm about history, and I'm about abolishing distortions of history, just like you are. We're both looking for the truth. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.